Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by Dmitry Orlov for what I think is our third, perhaps fourth interview over the years. Dmitry, as bombs are flying uh, and Russian banks and communication channels are being shut by the West, I hope you have a good bottle of vodka and that all is well so far where you are in Russia. Everything is fine where I am in Russia. All right. I wasn't joking uh, about the vodka. I have uh, some Mongolian vodka left over from my time uh, in, in uh, Mongolia, as well as I've got a unique shot glass here. Um, hopefully it doesn't, you know, hopefully things doesn't don't escalate to that level. But um, I've been meaning to get you on for a while and, and then all hell broke loose and I shot you a message. And then soon after that, I got listeners sending me messages saying, hey, get Orlov on. And I'm like, bro, chill. I, you know, I'll be speaking to him in a few hours. So it's funny how we're all on the same frequency. So there's a lot going on, and I don't even know where to start, Dimitri, but, you know, have we crossed the unipolar Rubicon moment? Uh, yes, we're basically dealing with a, a lot of denial in the West. They, they still are in the mode of, of thinking, well, Russia isn't doing what we wanted to do. Therefore, we must punish ourselves, because that's what the logic is at this point, uh, whether they want it or not. So what we're seeing is um, Russia very hesitantly undoing um, 30 years worth of damage, accumulated damage, while the West is busy punishing itself by uh, trying to thwart Russia in ways that make Russia stronger. That's what I see happening. That's the, that's the, like the, the, the really quick overview. And maybe for listeners who, who don't quite get it, when you say the West punishing itself, could, could you elaborate on that? I'm sure you would mean like referring economically, especially and in, in energy wise. Yes, mostly in terms of energy, but also socially, because uh, unbeknownst to them, um, uh, Western leaders are, are losing their electorate. Their electorate is wandering off looking for greener pastures culturally speaking, somewhere else, because uh, what they're dealing with back home from their own people is pretty much Sodom and Gomorrah 24-7, and they don't want any more of it. And they look toward Russia and, and other countries in the world, and they see something that they consider normal and that they see as attractive. So there, there are a lot of, uh, there's also some cultural collapse loaded into, in, into the, the equation as well as just basic, uh, you know, economic energy malfunction that's that's unfolding. As as a Westerner my myself, and I, there are other people talking about this on social media, that I'm still primarily concerned with what went on the past two years, especially the last few months of the things that we've seen like in Canada uh, and in other countries, this creeping uh, totalitarianism, uh, this loss of our civil liberties and whatever's going on now is really working well. This like distraction where it's just focused on Ukraine and everyone's forgotten what just happened, you know, in Canada where they froze Canadian bank accounts and, you, you know, all of this stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I would agree with what you're saying. Um, something interesting you posted to your blog 
was re regarding that Russia had full legal right to invade Ukraine for a number uh, of reasons, to defend Donetsk and Lugansk, to stop NATO uh, expansion, and to defend from Ukrainian WMDs. I'm not personally aware that Ukraine had any imminent access to WMDs, although I, I guess they were talking about going um, getting nuclear weapons again. And there's also information going around that the U.S. had constructed biolabs all over Ukraine, and this um, that this too was also part of the reason for the Russian uh, operation. Could you perhaps shed some more light on the purpose of the Russian uh, operation as well as if you have any thoughts on uh, the biolabs? Well, um, in terms of the, the legal basis uh, for the Russian incursion, I wouldn't call it an invasion. An invasion is when you'd move in to stay, basically. Uh, invasion leads to occupation. Uh, this is not. Um, Going, th this is not going to lead to an occupation. So uh, uh, why why not call it what it really is, which is a military incursion, and uh, basically a dis disciplinary function that's being carried out. But in terms of le the legal basis of it, it's bulletproof. Uh, Putin is a lawyer. He doesn't do anything illegal ever. Uh, he uh, makes sure that all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed in terms of the, the, the legal basis for whatever he does. Everything he does is defensible in court. And uh, the way it looks is that the collective West is really a scoff law in this case. They, uh, bas they basically reneged on all the treaties they've signed, all the, all the international agreements that they've entered into. Um, and uh, when, when they say that Russia is doing something wrong, what they mean is that, that Russia is doing something they don't like, whereas what Russia is doing is absolutely necessary in terms of its security. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to rehash this. People should already know this, but one, the Ukraine wants to enter NATO. Two, the military doctrine of the Ukraine um, uh, includes the, uh, the goal of uh, reconquest of Crimea by force, um, which means that uh, in all likelihood, the Ukraine will A, join NATO and B, attack Crimea, which means that Russia will go to war with NATO. That's not a good situation for Russia to be in. Um, also, um, the Ukraine has announced, its leadership has announced that, that they will use their spent nuclear fuel stockpile to make dirty bombs and use their existing rockets to lob them at Russia. That's not a good thing for Russia to sit back and relax about. So um, those are just two aspects that uh, dictate that, that Russia does something about it. A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30-minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. 
One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. Yeah, I was listening to a great interview uh, given by Scott Ritter uh, recently, who I've interviewed as well, the former UN weapons inspector. And he was making a clear point that agrees with you, where he was saying, well, you know, in regards to international law, where you know, NATO bombed uh, Serbia in, in 99 completely um, illegally. And so, I mean, Ritter was saying this then. Well, I mean, if, if they don't respect law in that sense, then if they can do that, then, you know, what Russia is doing to liberate uh, Donetsk and, and Lugansk is, is also uh, fair within the bounds. And then, you know, when NATO covers up and recognizes um, Kosovo, um, um, what do you think will be the aftermath? What 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 is Russia now seeking uh, to be done? They, they want to have talks. Um, they're talking about you know Zelensky is not showing up to the talks. He's showing up. He's not showing up. They might meet in Belarus or somewhere else. What what do you think Russia wants to be the immediate outcome uh, of this incursion or operation? Okay, well, just to brush on things uh, lightly, that the uh, the bombing of Belgrade is completely different from what the what the Russians are doing because the bombing the bombing of Belgrade was done by the West and anything that the West done is right by definition whereas the Russian incursion in into the Ukraine is bad by definition because anything that Russia does is by definition bad because the the West applies double standards to everyone and the double standards are part of the operating system. They're not to be disputed or discussed. So bringing up Belgrade is no use at all because it's the West doing it and the West is perfect by definition. Um, now, in terms of what the, these meetings that, that are you know, being requested and then denied and requested and denied, uh, well, if you have you know, a president of, of, of the Ukraine who's, who's on drugs most of the time and, and surrounded by psychologically unstable people, this is the sort of thing you'd expect. question is, does he even have agency to capitulate at this point? Um, I think at this point it would be safer to basically ignore him and say, okay, well, next government, please, and let's schedule elections. Um, and oh, by the way, the the Constitution as it stands, um, you know, is a dead end. There, there was there was a wrong turn taken somewhere, and uh, everything that happened since that wrong turn is uh, legally invalid. So let's start from a clean slate or go back to the con the last valid Constitution that the country had and proceed on that basis. Again, I'm thinking like Putin, the lawyer, you know, because because he will think that way and, and you can't dislodge him from thinking that way. Um, in terms of what Russia is doing with its incursion, uh, it has two stated uh, objectives that it is meeting. First is to neutralize the Ukraine um, militarily. 
Now, you have to understand that um, uh, the only reason that the Ukraine actually poses any sort of military risk to Russia is because of its Soviet-era military strength. All of the, most of the weapons it has, it has, it has a few new toys that it got from the West, but basically the entire structure of the Ukrainian military, the reason it could be reconstituted was because of Soviet weaponry and systems and traditions and, and Soviet era training that it could fall back on. If you knock all of that out, which Russians are doing, I think uh, they, they have a list that they're going through, basically knocking out installation after installation. I think it's up to a thousand installations. It's a rather large country that they've destroyed so far. Now, they, once they complete that list, uh, the Ukraine will no longer have a military. There's also that little fact that the Ukrainians did, don't really want to fight. They want to surrender. Uh, what's keeping them from surrendering is that there are these, uh, you know, uh, uh, cutthroats, these, these Nazi cadres embedded with every single unit uh, of the Ukrainian army, and they threaten to shoot people if, if uh, anyone tries to desert or surrender. So that's why the desertion rate isn't, isn't as high as it should be. Um, so the second goal is to get rid of all of these Nazi scoundrels and scum and various mercenaries and, and jihadists and, and various other people that have been shipped into uh, all, over the world, all over the world, various soldiers of fortune, basically round them up and kill them. That, that's, that's the goal. And uh, the Russians are not going to do it themselves. They're going to turn that over to the Chechens, who are absolutely expert at it. And uh, getting the Chechens to do it achieves two goals. One is, uh, why not use people who are absolutely expert at killing terrorists to kill, to, to kill terrorists? That's just basically their core competence at this point. And second, the Chechens are so scary that nobody will want to mess with them. Because so, touch a Chechen and you got a vendetta, and then your whole family dies, and so nobody will want to mess with that at all. So once those two objectives are met, uh, then uh, it'll be time to talk about a, a, a new legal structure for the Ukraine, basically blowing up into regions, letting each region decide what it wants to do. Uh, a couple of them want to join Russia. Uh, a couple more, um, Kharkov and Odessa, will probably eventually want to join Russia. Then there are some smaller intervening re regions that basically are all Russian-speaking and probably want to get integrated into the Russian economy uh, as opposed to the faraway Western economy that hasn't done any good for them. Um, and, and so basically there will be... Um, a bunch of statelets along the Black Sea and and uh, all the way to the uh, Belarusian border that will provide a buffer zone of, of basically Russian-speaking, Russian-aligned um, areas. Um, and then, of course, uh, Western Ukraine, which was never part of uh, uh, Ukraine to begin with. That was uh, Stalin's little mistake. Uh, that'll be wrapped with a with a bow and and handed as a president as a present to 
to the the European Union here, you know, feast on this little nugget full of uh, Nazis and uh, uh, sky high rates of mental deficiency because of iodine deficiency in the drinking water. You know, here you go. Um, and, and that would be a reasonable resolution to the whole thing. You think some of these regions, I've heard some people talk about, you think they would join the Belarus-Russian uh, Union state? Well, we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. I mean, these are basically failed states. And, and uh, uh, the first thing you have to do is to get them into some kind of a fail-safe mode where uh, they don't pose a risk to their own populations. Um, then there, there will be a lengthy period of deprogramming because these people have been brainwashed for uh, 30 years, uh, last eight of them very effectively. But um, the thing to remember about um, uh, the Ukraine is that it's basically uh, a very large white spot on the road. And it's basically just a, you know, uh, an area that everybody just poured over left and right all the time. That changed sides. I don't remember how many times, but half a dozen times during just the Russian Civil War. So the the population of these places has absolutely no sense of loyalty to anything, and will switch sides in a heartbeat. Um, and I'm observing that already because as soon as the Russians uh, rolled in with the tanks, uh, everybody stopped speaking Ukrainian and started speaking Russian, and that just happened overnight. For for eight years, they've been forced to speak Ukrainian, and then the Russian tanks show up, and it's like, oh, uh, I don't speak Ukrainian. <laughs> it's hilarious. So, so if this Russian, uh, let's call it operation, succeeds, then it would, um, I guess, neuter uh, Ukraine and, and NATO ex expansion. It would disarm that whole situation. And what I mean, Putin and many others have been discussing this existential threat uh, for years, where you know. If, if Ukraine joining NATO and then placing mi missile bases and nuclear missiles in Ukraine, which could then reach, you know, uh, it would be a de facto like first strike. So if, if this operation succeeds, then this is dealt with. Yeah. Well, it's dealt with, but uh, then you, you still have the, the uh, mental deficiency in Western capitals that that has to be dealt with somehow. They have to be talked down from their little treehouse and and and. Uh, you know, um, I don't know what the next step after that is, but maybe punished, like told that they, they're going to bed without dinner. Um, because what's going on right now there is, is just completely ridiculous. They have lost all sense of proportion and all sense of self-preservation. The Germans think that they can basically do whatever they want uh, to please the Americans and, and displease Russians. Uh, without uh, basically dying of exposure next winter, which isn't the case. If if they displease the Russians sufficiently, they will die of exposure next winter. That's just physics. Yeah, there, there's an interesting uh, comment that came out today from uh, Alexander Dugin. I, I see you, you liked the post I made uh, on my Facebook, and there's people on left and right that like him and, and don't like him, but I, I don't think you can deny... Uh, the, the force that he has and it's always fascinating to hear him speak but i thought it was powerful what he said that 
he said, quote, this is not a war with Ukraine, that this is a confrontation with globalism as a whole planetary phenomenon, confrontation at all levels, geopolitical and ideological. Russia rejects everything in globalism, monopolarity, Atlanticism, uh, liberalism, anti-tradition, technocracy, great reset uh, in one word. Um, and it's clear that all the European leaders are part of the Atlantic liberal uh, elite, and we went to war with her. Hence, um, is their normal response. You know, Russia is now excluded from the globalist networks. She has no choice anymore, either to build her world or to disappear. Russia has taken a course to build its world, its civilization, and now the first step is being taken. But in the face of globalism, only a large space, a continent state, a civilization state can be sovereign. No country will last a complete blackout for long. Russia is now creating a field of global, global resistance. Her victory will be the victory of all alternative forces, both the right and the left and all nations. As always, we begin the most difficult and dangerous processes, but when we win, uh, they all share um, end quote. So, I mean, for me, that would be, that's wishful thinking. Um, I would hope it's, it's, it's true, you know, fighting against this Western globalism that's just tearing up the planet. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, first of all, again, uh, Western globalism and global reset and great reset and blah, 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 you know, those are all things that people talk about as if they're real. Um, that's the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. Uh, getting back to brass tacks, what we had in the Ukraine, it was uh, basically a, a, a population that was weaponized specifically by the United States and then the Europeans as American vassals, as people with no sense of agency of their own, had no choice but to go along with this plan because they're, they're infested with CIA agents at the highest level and just basically have have no choice. Um, Western politicians cannot go against the Americans because the Americans have compromising evidence on them. They wouldn't be in their positions of power unless there was compromising evidence on them. It's, you know, they had to have slept with an underage girl or something, you know, or done drugs or, or some, some uh, financial malfeasance. That, that's like your entry ticket. Um, and, and so that those are just basic basic things about the structure of, of, of the world is you have Americans who decided to use the Ukraine as a battering ram against Russia, um, weaponized it, uh, abused uh, Russians within the Ukraine for eight years uh, as a way of provoking Russia, uh, thinking that Russia will attack and get bogged down and, and uh, basically deplete itself of, of resources uh, and uh, have a one, wonderful demoralizing war of one Slavic tribe against another Slavic tribe. So that's the thinking in Washington. That was the plan. Um, and now they're seeing that plan just fall apart before their eyes. Uh, Russian tanks merrily rolling through Ukrainian countryside and people just saying, oh yeah, Russian tanks, okay. Fine, I'll just drink some coffee or something. Um, and that's the whole reaction. And, and troops just basically not wanting to fight. And their neo-Nazis that they've trained, that they've kept in a jar since World War II, you know, cultivated several generations of them. And then when Ukraine got its independence, injected them back into the Ukraine and eventually had them take over by lavishly funding them. They're just being trampled 
they're they're being trounced and and killed off, eliminated. So the U.S. is livid that its assets are being destroyed, and its pl- its great plans for destroying Russia are being laid to waste. They're, they and and they're they're so childish that that they lash out, and because they're lashing out, the Europeans have to lash out too. What's more, you know, uh, the, to please the master, they have to lash out even harder. So you could call that globalism, or you could call it temper tantrum in the in in the kindergarten, you know. But but it's not really going anywhere because in the end they they will crawl back to Russia and say, please, can we have some oil and some natural gas? Because basically, once the United States got rid of the Venezuelan oil supply of heavy crude. It had to get heavy crude from somewhere else because fracked oil is too light to make diesel without uh, a heavier fraction being added, and that heavy heavier fraction comes from uh, comes from Russia. So, if if Russia stops selling oil to the United States, uh, the United States can no longer make diesel, and the American economy stops, grinds to a halt. Does the U.S. want that? Do they realize that that's what they're facing? I don't know. Now the thing is, the United States can't really go more than a few months without without Russia. Russia can go without the United States practically forever, and that's a big difference. Um, just one more, I guess, question on the escalation aspect. You know, Lukashenko came out talking about the threat of World War Three, and I think he, he's even been saying that. Uh, before this current situation developed, I mean, there's always this threat. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on escalating in terms, you know, of conventional war warfare in the European theater, or you know, even when we talk about nuclear? Do you, do you think this danger uh, exists? Well, it exists because the 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 woman with the the brain of a bumblebee and the, and the face of a herring, who is uh, uh, now the the British uh, foreign minister. Um, said made noises about a nuclear confrontation with Russia, so that forced Russia to uh, put put its uh, tr- nuclear triad on on high alert. Um, but basically, that that's just like you know the wages of idiocy. She she doesn't even have a college degree. She attended Oxford. She didn't get a degree from Oxford. She just attended. I don't know. She went to some parties and you know had had like sex with some people or something. And and now she's the uh, you know she's the foreign minister of the former British Empire. It's hilarious. The the level of degradation. It's like if if you go to Oxford and you rub your your side like a pig. Uh, a, a, Against the corner of some some great hallowed hall, then suddenly you 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 get to enter British government. That's how it works. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I just uh, here's another. Well, here's a silly question. I mean, a lot of people are making uh, light of the photos that are coming out with with Putin and 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 Shoigu and and Gerasimov. Uh, at the other ends of the table, and then we've seen photos of like Macron and Putin at one end, and then uh, I forget who he met with uh, Bolsonaro, and then, and then they were sitting closer together. And any just any thought on the, the, what's going on with the tables in the long distances there? <laughs> oh well, you know that's just Putin's way of applying discipline. Uh, Putin, Putin has basically this uh, gradation of uh, you know the concept of cooties. 
it's it's like a grade school concept. Like you, you don't want to sit next to somebody who has cooties. Um, so that that that's meetings with leaders are along those lines. You can tell who who Putin thinks has cooties and who doesn't. So Macron has mega cooties, right? Uh, where, whereas the the prime minister of Pakistan doesn't have any cooties at all. Bolsonaro doesn't have cooties either. Uh, they're totally cool. Um, so that that's that kind of level of visceral understanding of the structure of the world uh, that that uh, Putin uses iconography in order to get his message across. His sitting sitting very far far from Shoigu and Lavrov is a completely different kind of iconography. It's the loneliness of command. It it's to get a, okay. All of the decisions that Putin makes are collegiate decisions. He listens to everybody. He's a politician and a lawyer. He doesn't really go out on a limb by himself. He doesn't like risks. Uh, he likes to rule by consensus within his own inner circle. Uh, we had that on display when the decision was made to recognize Donetsk and Lugansk. It, that was broadcast on television. That was a me public meeting at the highest level with no preparation, just spontaneous. And, and you could see that people are try were trying to formulate their position, looking nervously around to other people in the room. So that was just like basically, uh, you know, synergy gelling right there in the room. Uh, but that's how he works. But what he wanted to get across was the loneliness of command. Of course, he discussed this with Lavrov and, and Shoigu. You know, of course, it was a collegiate decision that was made. Uh, but he didn't want that to to get that across because he wanted to pose himself as the the absolute arbiter of of that decision. He wanted the all of the responsibility to rest with him. All right. I want to get back to the uh, economy. I mean, for years, you've been uh, in your books and, and articles talking a lot about economy, econ economic collapse. And, um, you know, the, the West, just a lot is happening these days. Uh, I'm hearing it. The West is intercepting Russian shipping vessels that are owned by like the Russian bank and they're launching sanctions on banks. And I think the EU wants to make uh, Bitcoin uh, illegal so Russia can't skirt the sanctions. Uh, meanwhile, there's talk uh, of Russia and China possibly taking this as an opportunity to collectively challenge the dollar's reserve status. And so uh, what do you, what, what's your take on this atmosphere now with all the sanctioning of the banks, the crypto, the, the dollar, you know, capturing sh shipping vessels and all of this? Well, uh, what it means is that the U.S. is busily destroying the U.S. dollar as a, a means of international trade. Uh, because it's basically uh, an invalid instrument. Uh, if, if the U.S. can decide uh, whether it's your dollars or its dollars, uh, basically on a whim, then it's, it's a high-risk currency to be, to be trading in. And so the next step is to ask the United States to pay for its imports with something else than its dollars, and then the United States loses its ability to print its way out of its gigantic deficit or multiple deficits. It, it has a trade deficit. It has a budget deficit. It has deficits everywhere. But basically, once the U.S. 
uh, cannot pay its way using the printing press and coercing everybody into accepting the US dollar as, as payment for whatever it needs, it can no longer afford whatever it needs. And then the standard of living of the average American goes down by a factor of 10 or more, and the US becomes a defunct state, a destitute country. So that's what it's engineering for itself without realizing that it's doing doing that. Because again, the mindset is we do whatever we want. And uh, we don't care about the consequences because we're the, the strongest and the greatest. And you know, never never mind that this is this flies in the face of reality. We're still going to do it. I think we may have talked about this before. I see a lot. I see more and more people discussing this. Um, I think you've said, I mean, I've believed this for, for years. I think even before coming across your work that America is going to experience its its own Soviet collapse uh, moment like the 1990s, but it's going to be far worse. Um, I was just listening, I think yesterday to Daniel Estulin, uh, another Russian on Greg Hunter, he was being interviewed. And he was explaining that, you know, that's what's about to happen to America. Um, you know, you were discussing as well, Europe's going to be hurting because of the energy prices and, and lack of energy, inflation, just everything falling apart. You know, how soon do you think the, the, the dollar might lose its status and we might begin to see this unfolding in the US because I'm already like inflation is crazy. Like already we're, we're starting to see bad signs uh, economically. And so what are your thoughts uh, about the disintegration of, of the US? Well, uh, there's, there's structural inflation in the US that cannot be fixed through monetary means. It cannot be fixed by, by turning knobs on the economy. Uh, instead, what, what is needed is uh, some kind of uh, command and control function that doesn't exist and cannot exist in the United States. It can't even uh, uh, dictate where its natural gas goes. So it can promise to deliver it to Europe, but then it goes to Asia because that, the price is higher in Asia. Um, and all of that stuff is privately owned and the U.S. doesn't really have the government doesn't really have uh, the structure in place to, to control uh, that sort of thing. But there's there's structural inflation. There are basically uh, fundamental shortages of, of key ingredients to, to maintain any sort of uh, high level of economic activity. It's all going to dwindle. And, and so right now, inflation is maybe up to 10%, uh, but really we're maybe six months to a year away from it being 30% or more. If you, if you look at producer price inflation, it's much higher. It's around 30%. And so then you're blundering into hyperinflation land. Now, the typical way that they've uh, uh, managed to squelch in inflation before uh, under Paul Volcker way back when was by hiking interest rates, the prime rate, to something like 18 20%. I remember it because I was old enough at the time to have made some money on that. Uh, it was great. I had some savings. I bought some certificates of deposit and they yielded 18%. That was pretty cool. Uh, but they can't do that anymore because if they hike interest rates now, the entire economy will implode because all of it lives on revolving credit. There are all these companies that are bankrupt 
or would be bankrupt if it were not for very low interest rate revolving credit, revolving debt. And if, and if they can't revolve it, then they're, they're done. So uh, none of the knobs are connected to anything useful anymore. And, and the whole thing is just basically on autopilot uh, until it sinks. Yeah. So I, I guess that's my assessment and that of other people that, I mean, soon, I guess it's, it's something bad is, is coming up. I mean, what other issues regarding the U.S. empire or what's happening now in Ukraine uh, with Russia are you thinking of? Well, I think that uh, there's a huge amount of, of mental damage that has happened all over the West. And I, I see it, especially in the United States, uh, people that I consider or have considered relatively rational. Um, I see them on Facebook and they're definitely no longer rational beings. Um, you know, they're, they're at, at this point mental defectives. They cannot be reasoned with. And that is probably the effect of the, the psychological effects of, of, of the COVID um, thing, event, uh, coupled with uh, just uh, inevitable denial as to what's happening with their lives um, and, and uh, just inability to come to terms with, with pretty much anything. And it's very sad. And and if if you have uh, some critical number of of insane people within a population, then you're opening up to opening it up to the possibility of mass insanity, which can just basically result in absolutely anything. There's there are examples from medieval Europe where there was a dancing craze and people danced until they died because they didn't eat, they didn't sleep, they couldn't stop dancing. And eventually they just collapsed and died in droves. Um, <clears throat> you know, that that's we're heading towards something similar. And it's funny you mentioned that because just today, like clockwork and social media, like this this mass brainwashing, you know, propaganda we've seen in the last two years. And I'm just seeing it now on my Facebook feed. I, I don't really like to use Facebook, I just do it to post my podcast and stuff, but <laughs> People that I thought were smarter, like who at least got the COVID thing, and they're falling hook, line, hook, line, and sinker for this Ukraine war thing, and everyone's putting up their Ukraine flags, and uh, especially among you know among the Croatians, among the Mexicans. Uh, one Croatian I know, someone posted a photo of I, I suppose a Russian holding a sign that says something like, "I'm Russian. I'm sorry. Like I'm sorry for being Russian. Like you know, I'm Croatian. You know, we had the war and all of that. Croats and Serbs." I would never want a Serbian to say they're sorry for being Serbian or anyone of any ethnicity. Like you shouldn't be sorry for being, you know what I'm saying? What you naturally are. And just now we're starting to see this stuff pop up and it's just, and some of the people that, you know, were not falling for the COVID stuff are now falling for this. It's like, it's, it's unbelievable the, the the level of delusion. It's just, I don't know, I don't know if you have any comment on that. Well, there's a, a certain weak mindedness that, that, comes with all of this network penetration and all these mobile computing devices. Uh, people are, um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're basically maintained within an infantile state where they're easily influenced. And it's like this me too kind of syndrome that you see in kindergarten classes. One kid does it and all the other kids do it unthinkingly 
just because they want to be popular and fit in. This sort of unreflexive behavior. Um, you know, it's in in Russia. There's a different phenomenon going on, which is uh, there's a a sort of cultural elite of creative people who uh, who've had a rough time. Basically, they uh, in in the late Soviet era, they they were uh, well paid to basically be boosters for the the Soviet regime, and then the Soviet regime. Uh, fell apart, and they they had to basically go and forage for themselves in the wilds, and and they uh, absorbed a great deal of Western culture because that sold at the time, and learned to emulate it, and then uh, Russia developed its its own kind of primitive '90s uh, culture, similar to you know American ghetto culture that had to do with criminals. Uh, and so they learned to simulate that and and throw kind of like parties for mafia types and that sort of thing and made money that way. And and so coming out of that, suddenly Russia is now unified and and they, you know headed in the in the direction of traditionalism. And they're just a completely at a loss because it, it's it's like um, uh, imagine a, a whole bunch of uh, you know prostitute drug addicts uh, being asked to, uh, you know, run a kindergarten or something or, you know, a charity. They're, they're just completely at a loss. They don't know how to fit in. Uh, what, what they know is that they want, to, they, they want to be paid because they're used to getting paid, preferably by the government. The Russian government subsidizes culture. And, and so a lot of them are getting paid by the Russian government but they want to spend it in the U.S., where there there's uh, more choices of types of cheese. You know that's a big sticking point for them. Not enough high quality cheeses in Russia for, to please them. And you know they're, you can buy more sequined out outfits in in you know in Paris than you can in Moscow. And they're totally fixated on things like that. And so suddenly there's this war and. And what they're seeing is, you know, the threat of sanctions will prevent them from flying to their beloved Europe on weekends and spending the money that the the Russian government has given them, and they're livid about it. And these are the trendsetters and, you know, the influencers. Um, I think what's going to happen is pretty sad. I think they're going to get flushed out of Russian society. I think that they're going to be painted as traitors and they will never work again. And it's really sad because some of them are talented people. I've, I've been reading um, some of the people I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, Pepe Escobar and uh, Patrick Armstrong, the Canadian defense analyst who I've previously interviewed. And, you know, they're all thinking along the same lines. They're talking about the new new world order. Um, and where we see now, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the, the interview, I think I stole that line from someone, you know, that the uni we've crossed the unipolar uh, Rubicon and that, you know, the West, you know, this is the signal. What, what happened now in Ukraine is the West officially um, EU, US are declining. The East is, is rising, Eurasia, the dragon bear, whatever you want to call it, the, the multipolar world. Um, where do we go from here? What, what, what does the world order look like uh, in your mind? Chaotic. Uh, Pepe is is uh, you know fun to read, but he does a lot of he he falls into the trap of misplaced concreteness a lot. He talks a lot about 
things that don't really exist, like globalization, like world order, those are figments of somebody's imagination. Uh, could I have a pound of world order, please? You know, how much is it? You know, how much is it a dollar? You know, is it $5 a pound for world order? Or is it three? Uh, can I have a discount on it, please? Uh, what units do you measure it in? Nobody can answer those questions. Therefore, it doesn't exist. That's, that's the Descartian approach, the Cartesian approach. Um, and, and so that may be fun to talk about, but what, what is really going on is, you know, their personalities, uh, their, their, their uh, synergies between personalities, uh, their uh, societies that these personalities uh, lead or head up or influence, and, and their arrangements, economic arrangements and social arrangements that they arrive at um, in various ways. So, for instance, you know, there's this incursion, Russian incursion into the Ukraine that's unfolding, and uh, Putin is uh, having arm's length discussions with the, the prime, minister, prime minister of Pakistan. Now, what does that tell you? That Pakistan doesn't give a damn about the fact that there are Russian troops in, in the Ukraine? Well, it, you know, that's the takeaway from that. So if you think that there is a world order that can harumph and, and wag its finger at Russia, uh, well, you're, you're, you're imagining things because Pakistan is a pretty big country. Um, you know, that's missing from the world order. India is not part of it. China is not part of it. So if you go down the list and, and, and cross out all the countries that are not part of the world order because they're, they, they're not having any of it, you end up with what? You end up with the Anglos. You end up with their dependents and uh, you know the countries whose sovereignty has been stolen during World War II and, and never handed back to them. And that's it. That's really it. Yeah, looks like, well, uh, the, the, the tide, you know, one historic cycle coming to a close. Um, it's going to be interesting times going forward. Uh, I'm glad. Looks like you're you're more measured. You're not too worried. You seem to have great confidence in the Russian operation going on, and that you know we won't experience. Um, I won't need to use this shot class then. Um, any final thoughts to leave us with, or other issues you might want to bring up? Well, um, there there. There, there are always opportunities for, um, for mischief, especially in the case of, of the Ukraine, because it's such a mismanaged place. So, for instance, there, there are four major nuclear power plants, uh, including one that is the largest in Europe, that have been running flat out uh, until recently when two reactors went on offline because of uh, faults. But the Ukraine is out of coal, out of natural gas, out of money. Uh, it still has these nuclear reactors that it is using, running them flat out to keep the electric grid up. And then there's this incursion going on and this police action happening. Okay, so they took over uh, Chernobyl and uh, the Russians are uh, taking over the location of, of that largest nuclear installation in Europe. 
There are a few other nuclear installations and, and rocket facilities and various other things for them to either destroy or take control of. There's no option to destroy a nuclear power plant. So <clears throat> basically, that, that will turn into an occupation, most likely. Um, maybe some kind of a you know, joint deal um, between people running the, those establishments and, and, and the Russians. But basically, though, that that's a, a that that's a big danger. Things could definitely go wrong. But in general, people who run nuclear power plants have very tight security. Yeah, that that's a requirement. And then when a tank column pulls up to a nuclear power plant, uh, the security situation doesn't really get worse. It just means an automatic change of management, and that's what's happening. Uh, that's what happened at, at Chernobyl, for instance. Suddenly, there's this uh, joint Russian-Ukrainian effort in place of just the plain Ukrainian effort that was there before. And I expect that to be happening all over the place. Since they all speak the same language, the Ukrainians stopped speaking Ukrainian as, so, as soon as the Russian tank showed up. Um, you know, as soon as like the, the Caterpillar tractors ro rolled over the, the line, um, Everybody in the Ukraine seems to have forgotten the Ukraine, the, the Ukrainian language that they have been laboriously learning for the past eight years. Um, so they're, they're all speaking the same language. So I, I think they'll come to some kind of a reasonable accommodation. But um, there are a lot of other uh, dangers. I mean, you know, if if you have the woman with the face of a herring running, uh, you know, British foreign policy. There, that's dangerous. You know, there are a lot of other dangers like that as well. There are a lot of defense secretaries uh, uh, in in NATO states that are really secretaries. They went to secretarial school. They're they're properly secretaries. They they shouldn't be in charge of defense though. They should be in charge of some some paperwork function. And and so there's a lot of danger there. You know, you have you have a woman in charge of the EU who is uh, what a midwife by training. Um, I don't know. I I don't think she has time to deliver births anymore. I don't know what she does, but um, clearly she lacks the, the required competence for the job. And and so that's that's throughout. Basically, the the mental degradation is is just really frightening. So that creates a lot of opportunities for mistakes and mischief. And, and uh, I hope that, you know, a lid is kept on that. But, um, you know, it, we're, we're living in dangerous times. I guess finally, maybe um, any tip for, for, the, for listeners around the world, I guess, especially in the West, any key principles or, or tips, uh, economically speaking, uh, you know, to trying to stay out of harm's way you know people uh, lately people are talking a lot about parallel structures you know uh you know running to the hills getting a farm uh any themes in that regard you know tips for us well i i look at a lot of uh, american cities and and uh um they're they're really gone to a large extent that they're, they're just uh uh basically they're unlivable already and uh, they're going to be even less livable. I would look for places that can uh, that have the so social cohesion to get by without uh, without police, and have some fallbacks in terms of uh, 
food and energy. Um, and, um, you know, basically, uh, if, if you can't find a place to live that that's like that, then, um, you'll probably wander in search of one. So get mobile. Yeah, those are good themes and they overlap with, you know, other guests I've had like James Kunstler and, and others. Um, all right. Uh, I think the best place to fo follow uh, your work and support you is cluborlov.wordpress.com where you can find, people can find your subscribe star or Patreon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the way, that's the way to do it. You're, you're still on the Patreon, unlike me, uh, <laughs> but um, ho hopefully you stay on Patreon. Um, uh, so I hope. Yeah, I, I don't know why they they haven't thrown me off, thrown me off yet, but I, I think it's because my my uh, my vocabulary is a little too big for the people for the censors, so they they can't detect me. They they can't see me. I probably tend to agree, or at least, or the people who you know who program the algorithm uh, mm -hmm. as well. Uh, so I hope things stay calm uh, in both Europe uh, and Russia. Ukraine, wherever, everywhere, and we can all enjoy a non-radioactive uh, existence. Thank you for being back on Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find geopolitics and empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.